have has anybody ever hurt you before? You know, taken something maybe that belonged to you and destroyed it. Um, have you ever been hurt by other people? We all have to differing degrees. I can remember uh, I'm the oldest of four children growing up, and uh, I had this GI Joe. Um, I forget what it was called exactly, but it had dual rotors. It was a helicopter, and uh, and it had a little rope you could like unwind and hang the GI Joe guy down and lower him down to the ground. The only thing it didn't do was fly by itself, you know. But in my imagination as a boy, it just about did that too. I had wanted it for for a long time, and I got it for Christmas one year, and it was it was my most prized possession as a little boy. And I can remember putting it on the very top shelf. And uh, one of my little brothers, um, Jack, do you have any little brothers? Got a couple, got a couple. And uh, one of my little brothers, Nathan or Josh, climbed up to the top shelf to try to get it. But in so doing, they actually pulled the whole shelf on to themselves. And um, the, the helicopter came crashing down and broke and it was never the same again. Of course, I tell that story about my brothers. I never did anything to anything that belonged to them, okay? Um, we know that's not true. But uh, I can remember being just in despair because something that I treasured had been broken. And one of them, and, and you can tell it hasn't really stuck with me. My bitterness has since left. I don't remember who it was at this point in life. But in in, the, in those couple of days, I can remember going back and my mom helped me kind of patch it back together. But it just wasn't right. You know, it just wasn't what it had been. I mean, it was flawless up to that point when uh, one of my brothers offended me by breaking it. Sometimes, sometimes we can hurt one another. Um, I can remember as a small boy and uh and I, I grew up at Trinity Baptist Church. My parents moved here in 1989. I was eight years old when we first began to attend Trinity. And uh, as an eight-year-old boy, all, the youth group, the teenagers, 7th through 12th grade, used to sit up in this section up here near the front. And so that's where all of us children wanted to sit. We wanted to be cool like the kids in the youth group. And, uh, and I can remember as a young boy, I wasn't in the youth group yet. I might have been like at 10 or 11. I was getting close, and I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be one of them, you know, and, and I can remember asking my dad, can I go sit up with the teenagers? And dad said, yeah, go ahead. And I, and, and I got up and this was right before the service started. I, I walked up the center aisle at the time and sat down next to a teenager and he was probably like 11th or 12th grade. So, you know, like really old, you know, and really cool because all 11th and 12th graders are that in their minds. And anyway, so I sat down next to him, and I'm just a little 10 or 11-year-old boy. I think this was, was a Sunday night, and, uh, and I'm sitting there next to him, and I can remember, like, it took a lot of courage to come up there and sit next to him, because I really wasn't a teenager, but, you know, I wanted to be, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of looking at him, and he's big, you know, and I'm small, and, and all of a sudden, he looked at me, and he said, your breath stinks. <laughs> I mean, I was crushed. Now, a little background story on that. Okay, so we grew up in a couple miles away. My parents had a garden, and in that garden, there was a little patch of chives. And they grew. You know, they just came back and just kept growing, you know. And, 
And my mom kind of had a little, she had a couple rules of things we couldn't eat, but some of the things we could eat were in the garden. You know, cherry tomatoes, and she'd plant little things for us to eat. We'd just eat out of the garden, just graze out there like rabbits, you know. And one of the things I would eat would be chives. You know, I'd be out there playing basketball, shooting baskets, or riding my bike, and you're a little hungry, what do you do? You go over to the patch of chives and grab a handful of those things and pop them in your mouth and eat, you know, and... And so I can only imagine that what that 10th or 11th or 12th grader smelled that day was pretty bad. It probably was pretty intense. But I got to tell you, as I sat there, after he said that, I, I was just shocked. Like, I, I didn't know what to I didn't know my breath was bad. I didn't know I smelled like an onion patch. You know, I didn't know that. And I can remember, you know, my eyes began to water and it wasn't because of my breath. You know, it was because of his words. And my eyes began to water, and but I'm sitting with the teenagers. You can't cry when you're sitting with the teenagers, you know. My, but I'm going to. I'm going to start crying, you know. I'm 11 years old or whatever. And I got up, and this was all right before the service started. And I got up, and I, I walked back to my parents down the center aisle. Like, you know, you try to keep the tears from coming out, you know. And I, I got up, I kept them in, and I got back and just sat there. I was devastated. I still remember that guy's name, by the way. But I've let it go. He spoke the truth, I'm sure. But the, the truth is that sometimes we hurt one another. So if I asked you the question, has anyone else ever hurt you or offended you? You, you could say yes. We all could. And it wouldn't just be a G.I. Joe helicopter that got broken. And it wouldn't just be uh, because you ate a bunch of chives and your family member said your breath stinks, Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I know that we've all been hurt to a much greater level than those things. And, and beyond that, we've all hurt other people, haven't we? Haven't we? Yeah, we have. We've all hurt other people. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples, in particular Peter, about a matter of forgiveness, and the need for forgiveness. And really, it's one of the most important practices in the Christian life. And I do say practice a practice because it's something that has to be repeated. Uh, forgiveness is not just a one-time thing. You've forgiven people in the past. People have forgiven you in the past. People have forgiven me in the past. And people will have to forgive me in the future. I've forgiven people in the past, and I will have to choose to forgive people in the future. And so Forgiveness is actually one of the most important Christian practices that there is. It's not something that you find in the world too often. Grudges are held in the world. Bitterness is found in the world. Hatred and animosity come out of the fountain of unforgiveness. And, and so truly it, it's a practice that ought to be a part of our lives. And we have to learn to forgive one another. Husbands have to forgive their wives, and wives have to choose to forgive their husbands. And church members, church members even have to forgive other church members, right? It'd be nice if, you know, once you were saved, you never hurt anybody again, and no one ever hurt you again. And, and you know, because you were a Christian, you never had to forgive anybody again, because never, nobody ever hurt you, and you never hurt anybody else, and that's just the way it was, perfection. Well, that's heaven, but if you haven't noticed, we're not there quite yet. And so even within the local church, there's a need to forgive one another. Leaders need to forgive those who work for them or those whom they lead. And people who work for leaders need to forgive 
leaders because leaders make mistakes. You're in Matthew chapter 18. Look at this passage. It's a favorite of mine. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 35 so you can see it. And then we'll look at it in the time that we have this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. The Bible says this. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's a good question. How often shall my brother in Christ wrong me, sin against me, and I still forgive him? And he asks, he makes a proposal here in verse number 21 to Jesus, till seven times. Peter says, maybe seven times. That'd be a lot to forgive somebody. In verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. That's 490 times, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, Jesus says, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. You know, forgiveness for a child of God is a beautiful word. And it is an experience that we all share. We've all experienced forgiveness at the highest level as the children of God. Because God has forgiven us of everything, past, present, and future. All those who believe upon his name have been forgiven of everything. And for those of us who are saved, God's expectation for us is very clear. He tells us, you've been forgiven, and I expect you to forgive everyone who offends you in every way. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. This truth is wonderful, but it is hard uh, for a person who has been wronged, who's been hurt, who's suffering, perhaps, maybe even suffering continued persecution. Father, I pray, though, that we would be like Christ in this area of our lives, that we, we would forgive one another completely, fully, repeatedly, if need be. 
And Lord, I will praise your name for doing this and accomplishing this work of forgiveness uh, in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word. Bless it now, I pray, in our ears, in our hearts. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, the truth is, for someone who's saved, is that we're a saint. Okay? We're a saint. Um, that is, we have been forgiven of all of our sins, and yet we are still sinners. Saints still sin, don't they? Um, yes, we all still sin. And if we work closely together for a long while, we're going to sin against one another. If you, you know, it's not so hard to put on a front in front of a group of people and come across a certain way and not offend them. It might be a little challenging. But when you're living with someone, it's easier to offend that person, isn't it? It's easier to be offended by that person. So we're saints, but we're all sinners as well. And if we live close or work closely with someone, we're going to offend them at some point. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7 says this, It must needs be that offenses come. It must needs be that offenses come. They're actually a part of life. People offend people. And we need to know what to do uh, when we have been sinned against. When someone sins against us, whether it's a legitimate sin, they've wronged us, they've hurt us, or whether we perceive that they've hurt us. We feel hurt. Maybe they haven't done anything, but we feel that way. So whether we feel it and it's not true, or and we feel hurt, or whether it is true, we are hurting uh, because they have actually hurt us in some way. Either way, you and I need to forgive that individual. And that's what we see in this passage. We need to know what we we, how we can do this, what we need to do, what God wants us to do, and Jesus tells us exactly what to do. So what do we do when a brother in Christ is dis- disobeying the Word of God? He's not walking in the Spirit, and he's sinning against us. That's the question. And I want to give you uh, some answers to that question this morning from the passage. Number one, we need to go to that individual that has offended us. What do you do when someone is hurting you? What what do we do when someone hurts us or is in the process of hurting us? Um, how, do we, how do we normally respond, do you think, when someone hurts us? Sometimes we just shut down. We kind of clam up. Some of us are like that. Some of us get angry, right? Um, some of us, if someone's hurting us, uh, we will go to others about that person. Have you ever done that? And, and, and sometimes it's, it's sincere We're not trying to hurt them back. It's sincere. But sometimes we'll go to someone else and say, hey, they're doing this to me. What do you think? Because we're trying to figure out what they're doing. Are they trying to hurt me? Uh, I mean, you're trying to understand it. And so sometimes we do that. Sometimes when someone else is hurting us, we go to other people to hurt them back. But in the passage, I can't help but notice that Jesus actually gives instructions to his disciples. And he says this, when someone is hurting you, when someone is sinning against you, when someone is wronging you, offending you, here's what you need to do. You need to go to that individual. You and them alone. Now, how many of you say to yourself, that sounds like a great idea? That's just what I want to do. That's what I'm inclined to do, Pastor. When someone hurts me, I'm just like, you know what? Let's talk about it. How many of you, how many of you, that's you? No, that's not us. In fact, that's none of us. 
None of us are inclined to do that. Some of us pine and complain to others. Some of us just stew about it. Some of us try to ignore it. Some of us try to get back at them. And Jesus says, don't do any of those things. Go to the person alone. You and them. And you tell them, you're offending me. What you're doing is wrong. It's hurting me. Are you aware of that? Look at the passage. Verse 15. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse number 15. And I'll read down through verse 17. He says this. Jesus speaking. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Count him as a person who's not saved, because he's not acting that way. So there are steps that Jesus gives to us that we're supposed to take, and these are hard steps. What are you supposed to do when someone's hurting you? Well, he says, first of all, you need to go to that person, just you and him alone. And don't you like what he says there in verse number 15? That if he says, tell him his fault between thee, uh, thee and him alone, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. There's restoration there. Have, have you ever hurt somebody and you didn't know you hurt them? Sometimes we're offended by someone, we're hurt by someone, and they're not trying to hurt us. And again, I mentioned it earlier, but in Matthew 18, he says, it must needs be that offenses come. Offenses are a part of life. Sometimes people hurt us, and they're not trying to. And we can say, well, they ought to. They ought to know better. You don't always know better. I don't always know better. Sometimes we say things that are not a compliment. Right now, there's a few illustrations going through my mind of things that I said to Cindy uh, early in our marriage. And uh, I found out afterwards they weren't a compliment. I thought they were. I didn't think I would offend her by saying those things. But I found out, (laughs) turned out I wasn't sensitive. I wasn't thinking of her. I wasn't dwelling with my wife according to knowledge. I'm probably not the only husband here who's ever done that. But the truth is, sometimes... We offend someone, and we, we weren't trying to hurt them. And you know, that's a beautiful thing. If you've hurt someone, if, you, if you've said something and you've hurt someone, would you prefer that that person come to you and say, hey, you said this, what do you mean by that? Because that really, really hurt me. Would you rather them come to you, or would you rather them go to all of their family and talk about you? Go to you, right? Come to me, tell me. I hurt you. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And and, and he says here, if they'll hear you, you've gained your brother. And you know what will happen is in this relationship, these relationships, and and these are are part of life. These offenses are part of life. But if you'll go to the individual, you'll find, uh, and if he hears you and you're in agreement about this thing, you'll actually find that you're your relationship will be strengthened and go to another level. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, this ought to be practiced in marriages too. This is great counsel for a marriage. Don't just stew about what your husband said. Go to him. Go to him. 
Don't just be upset about what your wife said or what you think she thinks. Go to her. Talk to her. We're going we're gonna to move along here. Um, so he says, if thy brother shall trespass, sin is the word against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Don't, don't go to other people before you go directly to that individual and privately. Why? Because if he'll hear you, you gain your brother. And if that fellow church member doesn't hear you, if they refuse to acknowledge their fault or to make the matter right, then the Lord gives us clear instruction about what to do next. Look at verse number 16. But if he will not hear thee, what if he says, yeah, I don't agree. I think you're, I think you're off your rocker. He says, take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three, three witnesses, every word may be established. And if you should neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, as a publican. You know, the unity of the church is essential to, to power in prayer. And, and that's where he goes next. Look at verse number 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, talking about prayer as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So in this context of prayer, the power of prayer, the Lord is commanding us to work hard at maintaining purity and harmony within the church. So you go to that person alone. If he won't hear you, you, you take one or two other witnesses with you, and that's for your own protection. That's for their protection as well, because those witnesses, what does a witness do? Does a witness talk a lot, yes or no? No, a witness observes. They witness them. you got these two people, and none of us want to be here. But the scenario that Jesus is setting out before us is better than believers talking about one another to other believers. So you go to the person. If he won't hear you, if it's not resolved, if you can't come to an agreement about it, you bring one or two imbiased or unbiased people with you. They're not just on your side. You don't go find the people who love you the most, uh, are, are the most loyal to you, and are going to take up your axe and help you grind it. Okay? No. You, you, you bring somebody else with you or two other people with you who are godly, who fear the Lord, who know the word of God. And you know what? They're not interested in your side or the other person's side. They're interested in truth and restoration of you too. And they sit there and, and you guys talk and they might ask a question. But they're there to help the conversation stay on the rails so that restoration can take place. This, this is an incredible truth, and we're not going to spend much more time with this this morning. It would be wonderful if our world would use these biblical principles. I don't expect the world to use these biblical principles, but God expects you and I to use these principles in our relationships. So confrontation, restoration, and discipline are all essential practices of a church that is unified and a church that has the power of God. And I'll say this. Uh, restoration is always the goal. Restoration of these two people who disagree with one another, who are not seeing eye to eye. One has, has offended the other. Restoration is always the goal. You remember Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1? 
where he says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, that is, the person who's saying yes to the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. Restore such in one. Not shame him. Not talk about him or her behind their back. Not be angry, but restore such in one with a spirit of meekness, strength under control, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And the next verse says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill ye the law of Christ. This is Christ-like. This is what Christ does. He restores relationships. He mends wounds that are deep. He mends hurts. He takes brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe who have offended one another. He reunites them together. He bonds them together. He strengthens them in their relationship with one another. And it's for the glory of God. It's for his glory. So the goal is always restoration. And I want to encourage you with this thought before we move on. In case you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, maybe you're making a list of people. All right. And I don't think that's happening. But but maybe you are thinking of some people who've offended you and hurt you. And you're thinking, okay, wow, pastor's saying this. The Bible says this. I should go to them. I don't think I can do that. Uh, How do I handle this? Um, Before you get all gung-ho about your list of confronting someone about how they've offended you, It's in the context now, as we're going to see, of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And that's what I noticed secondly. Not only should we go to that individual who's offended us, but secondly, we need to forgive them. The word forgive means to let go. To let go, not to not hold on to it. And uh, sometimes I'll laugh with Cindy because... My mind, the way God made it, things just kind of go naturally. Like, I don't have to let go. It just kind of goes. But her mind, she remembers. And so if we go back a few years to an event and we rehash that event, what was said, what was done, whose fault was whose, who do you think wins that argument? Not the guy who can't remember. I can tell you that. And she's like, let me help you remember. I can give you the details. Okay. So some of us are going to be more like singing that way. You remember things. I mean, you you don't forget things. Certain things, you hold hold on to them. Okay, you're going to struggle with forgiveness. Because you can remember. One of the amazing things about God is, he, he remembers our sins no more. It's not because he has amnesia. It's not because he's like me and he can't, his brain doesn't remember certain things. God knows all things. It's not that he can't remember them. He knows our sins, every one of them, in every detail, more complete detail than you and I know our own sins. And yet God chooses not to hold them against us. And that's forgiveness. That's amazing. All of my sins and all of my transgressions and all of my iniquities against God, and they're all against him, God has chosen to forgive me, 
to let them go and to not hold them against me anymore. Okay, so because I've been forgiven as a child of God, God says, here's my expectation of you. I expect you to forgive those who wrong you. Look at verses 21 and 22 in the text. And here's Peter. He says, then came Peter to him, to to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I think Peter was thinking that's quite a lot. Someone hurts you. I mean, to forgive them, to let it go seven times? I mean, that's a lot. Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, Peter, but until 70 times seven. That's 490 times. And Jesus didn't give a specific number so that we could keep track. I've forgiven you 389 times, dear. You know what this means? I'm more than halfway there. That's not forgiveness. Jesus gives this number 490 times. And if you've been hurt by someone deeply, that number is impossible. And Jesus gives that number intentionally, on purpose, to drive home the point, this point, that you and I have a God-given responsibility to forgive everyone who who, who wrongs us every single time for what they have done. Don't hold on to bitterness. I read one author years ago, years, years ago, and he made the comment, unforgiveness is like a poison pill. You can take that poison pill, you can look at the person who's wronged you, and you can say, I'm going to make you pay for what you've done to me. You can put that poison pill in your mouth of unforgiveness, and you can swallow it. You can ingest in unforgiveness. You know what? It may hurt them to a degree, but it is going to kill you. Unforgiveness. So we have a biblical responsibility to forgive. And, and he, he asked this question. We read this important question of Peter's. Um, how oft, Lord? How oft? How, how, tell me, Lord, how oft am I supposed to forgive? How many times am I supposed to forgive the people who wrong me? And Jesus says to him, basically, an unlimited number of times. Luke 17 and verse 4 says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So forgiveness to others, our forgiveness to others is to be full and it is to be free, complete. This is, this is a miracle, by the way. This is something that God can do in your life and he can do it in my life. Uh, you're in Matthew chapter 18. Look back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. In Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And in the context of prayer, and if you want God to answer your prayer, if you want God to hear your prayer, he talks about forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 6, look at verse number 12. It says, and Jesus says, you need to pray this way and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Think about that. I'm not going to take much time here, but Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray and I want you to say, Lord, would you forgive me the very same way I'm forgiving those people who wrong me? Now, how many of us in this room want to say, Lord, would you forgive me just the way that I'm forgiving everybody who wrongs me? God, would you deal with me 
Would you be as gracious to me as I am being gracious to those people who hurt me? How many of you want God to be gracious to you like you're gracious to people who, who wrong you? Okay. <laughs> right. Whew, I don't know. I, I, kind of hope, I kind of hope he's more gracious to me than I've been to others. Don't you? Lord, would you be as merciful to me as I have been merciful to those people who wrong me? Now, some of us are given more given to mercy and grace, okay? But some of us aren't. Justice. Look at, look at verse number 14 in Matthew 6. He says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. As we forgive others, we're actually in a position to be forgiven. Verse 15, Jesus says this. This is an amazing statement. Verse 15 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses. So we have a choice here. I can choose to forgive or I can choose not to. Jesus says, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Hmm. You can look back to Matthew chapter 18 in your Bible. So the simple point is this, and we could, that's a whole other passage we could look at in a study. But the simple point is this, just forgive your brother. Just forgive your brother or your sister in Christ. And a great deal of help in this matter of forgiveness is, is given by thinking and pondering and meditating on the forgiveness that we have received from God. How have we been forgiven in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, which means pitiful, pitiful, sympathetic. And then he says this, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And how has Christ forgiven you and me? He's forgiven me of everything. He doesn't hold anything against me. Think about that. When you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, he forgave you. He gave forgiveness fully. And Jesus, all of your sins and all of my sins were laid to Jesus' account. And all of Jesus Christ's righteousness was put to my account. And God, who is holy, who has never wronged anybody, whose love is pure and mercy is is new every morning and his grace is grace upon grace upon grace. God forgave the sinner. He who had been wronged, but who had never wronged, forgave the person who wronged and always wrongs me. I notice a third truth in this passage. Not only should we go to that individual who's offended us personally. Number two, we, have to for, we ought to forgive them whether they ask for it or not. Number three, I notice there's a, there's a great debt of sin. And, he, and Jesus now gives an illustration. Look at verse 23 in Matthew chapter 18. He says, therefore, in verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. And that king represents God, which would take account of his servants. And those servants represent you and me, believers. Verse 24, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. And so 
Jesus here in the passage begins to speak a parable. And a parable was a story. Jesus would sometimes use parables or stories to help us understand Bible truths. I always loved when my parents would tell me a story. It didn't have to be a real one. You could make it up. My kids, if I'm making up a story, it almost like encourages them. They'll see their eyes kind of light up and they'll be like, Dad, that's not true. And I'll just keep going. And they know it's a story. It's a made-up story. Well, Jesus would speak in stories, parables sometimes, that would help them to understand, help the listener to understand the spiritual truth. And so Jesus used the forgiveness of God as an example uh, for us in forgiving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus says that this servant owed how many talents? 10,000 talents. And the Bible doesn't say if they were 10,000 talents of gold or 10,000 talents of silver. Gold would be so much worth so much more than silver would have been. Some uh, historians and scholars say that a silver, a talent of silver would be worth about $2,000 today. So if you had 10,000 talents of silver, let's say, it would be worth $20 million. So this guy owed his Lord, this master, a lot of money. It was a debt he couldn't pay. That's the point. Uh, so a gold talent would have been 15 times the value of a silver talent. It would have been over $300 million. And so this man owes a debt of at least $20 million. Could have even been more than that. And the point of this parable is that the debt was so enormous and it was so unpayable that he needs his master, he needs this, this Lord to be merciful and forgiving to him. And the debt pictures our sin debt to God. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he says, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Someone had to pay the debt. And so in desperation, the man bows before the king. You see it in the next verse in verse 26. And he promises that if he's given enough time, he'll pay off what he's owed. Look at verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. This man, there's no way he can save himself or his family. And he prays, Lord, and notice the capital L. Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, Now, frankly, could this man ever pay this debt? Yes or no? He could not pay the debt. He could never. Not in, this, not in his little lifetime, or if he had ten lifetimes, he probably couldn't have paid this debt. There was no way this man could ever pay the debt. And you know what? He represents us before we were saved. We had a sin debt that we could never pay. Could never pay the debt for our sin against God. And it reminds, I think, us of the attitude many of us had before we found forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Some of us maybe even promised that if God would accept us, we would serve him and we'd be faithful to him all the days of our lives. And anybody who thinks he can make promises to God and find salvation, I I don't think they grasp how vast our sin debt really is. Romans 3 talks about that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Our sin deserves eternal retribution in hell forever. And a few reformed habits or a membership in a church will not pay a debt like that. A million years in hell wouldn't pay for our sins. 
It wouldn't even keep up with the interest on our sins. We needed forgiveness of our sin. Also notice, fourthly, that we see that God is mer- He's a merciful God. I, I, love, I love the Lord. I love God. And this is one of the reasons why I love him. He's, he's merciful. He's been so merciful to me throughout my life. Look at verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. $20 million conservatively. Conservatively. That's if they're silver and not gold talents. Now I want to ask you, is there someone in your life who's wronged you, who's hurt you, and you haven't forgiven them? You say, Seth, they're still doing it. They may be. I'm almost assured that if they don't do it again, someone else will wrong you. This message is not for the person who's offending you. This message is for those who are offended. And we have a responsibility to be merciful as God has been merciful to us. This, This man's in a position, he can't bargain with the king. He can't make a deal in regarding to pay his debt. He needed one thing from this king. He needed mercy and he found it. Sinners are not saved by making promises. We were not saved by making promises. We have been saved by the mercy and the grace of God. Because Jesus paid our sin debt by dying on the cross for us. And he has erased our debts for all of eternity. Notice in verse 28, I also notice what God thinks of unforgiveness when we choose not to forgive. Look at verse 28. And the same servant went out. Now, this man has just been forgiven of at least $20 million. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. Now, if I'm, I'm using the same scale, 10,000 talents of silver would be $20 million. A hundred pence would be the equivalent of about $14. Okay, so this guy's just been forgiven of about 20 mil. And he goes out. Think about this. He goes out immediately is the the inference here. He goes out and finds one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, $14. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. Look at verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. This sounds familiar. Verse 30. And he would not, he would not have patience. He would not be merciful but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. $14. What do you think of this guy who's just been forgiven of $20 million, but who won't forgive someone else who owes him $14? What do you think of this guy? And you know, Jesus gives this parable. He tells this story to help us to understand what we look like to God when we will not forgive others who have hurt us, who are hurting us, others who are stealing from us, maybe stealing a reputation, hurting, words, whatever. This is what it looks like to God. 
And look at what Christ says in the following verses, verse 31. He says this, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord calls him back in and says, what are you, what are you doing? I, I just forgave you $20 million. Why? Why are you grabbing this man by the throat? And sadly, sadly, I think some of God's people, we who have been forgiven of so much of all of our sin, to grab someone figuratively by the throat who's offended us and to throw them into the prison of unforgiveness or resentment. It is disgusting in the eyes of God. It's the ultimate hypocrisy. It is wicked. It is not Christ-like. When we accuse and we accuse and we accuse and we accuse and we hold against and we bring it up again and we accuse and we rail Who is that like? Who is it like? The evil one. It's not Christ-like in any way. There's nothing godly about it. It foments divides and division. It causes division and disharmony and disunity. And what can we expect if we will not forgive? Well, look at verse 34. The Bible says, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, that is, those who would make him pay, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35, Jesus says this, and this isn't part of the story. Verse 35, Jesus speaks and he says, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. He's talking to Peter. He's talking to his disciples. If ye from your hearts... Forgive not every one his brother for trespasses. And Jesus was not threatening hell, torment in that sense, punishment, eternal punishment. He was saying this, you will reap what you sow. Reap what you sow. Sow forgiveness. That's what I say. Sow forgiveness. Let it go. Let it go. Full and free. Forgive full and freely the way you've been forgiven. You know, this year we went out and planted the garden. William and Olivia and I were in the garden planting corn when all of a sudden this big cloud rolled in, this big dark cloud, and it began to rain. I wasn't going in yet. We were committed. So as it was raining, we were, we were covering them up, and we were our backs were completely soaked because we were bending over, putting in the seeds. And We were sowing corn seeds with a hope of reaping corn stalks, which will yield corn on the cob, off the grill, butter, salt, pepper. Ah, okay, right? With burgers, that doesn't come on the corn stalk. But you get the idea. We're sowing something with the intent of reaping something, that which we've sown. You know what? Let's us as a church sow forgiveness. Let's sow forgiveness. This doesn't mean you don't communicate in the very text. What did Jesus say? Go to that individual. Talk to one another. Communicate. But in the context, let it go. And we can rejoice in the fact that we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's stand, and we'll close with a hymn. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this reminder in my heart of the importance of forgiveness. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that we have. May we walk out of this room this morning rejoicing in our hearts, pondering, contemplating the truth that we have been forgiven of everything. That is, that is amazing, Lord. Thank you. We do not deserve it. Father, help us as your people because we are people. And we're prone to be upset. We're prone to be bitter. We're, we're prone to be ornery when we've been hurt, when someone has not considered us. Lord, help us, I pray, to forgive. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.